Today is Transfiguration Sunday. It is a day in the life of the church when we read uh, a very particular story of Jesus on a mountaintop. And it might be a little bit familiar, unfamiliar to you. Um, so I love the idea of you having a chance to follow along in Scripture. It's from the Gospel of Luke. It's in chapter 9. Um, and in your pew Bibles, it's on um, page 69 and 70. It starts in the bottom little corner there of your, of your pew Bibles. Uh, and for those of you who are quick at looking up Bible verses, uh, you might like flipping between the, the Luke version and the Matthew version. In Matthew, the same story happens in uh, Matthew chapter 17. Uh, but here, here it is from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus took with him Peter and John's and James and went up to the mountain to pray. While Jesus was praying, his, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to Jesus. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which Jesus was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus, found, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent. And in, those day, in, in those days, told no one any of the things they had seen. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For texts like this one, this story of the transfiguration, we, we can't quite resist that alien nature of that encounter there up on the mountaintop. It seems unlike anything we've ever experienced. There's this inherent otherness in this text, a, a disconnect from the world we know pos is, is possible. But I'm convinced that this story doesn't hold too much more impossibility um, or oddity than uh, the, two, the two stories that we hold most dear, that of Christmas and Easter, the stories that we um, carry with us for months and months at a time, that story of um, Jesus in the manger and that story of uh, Jesus meeting Mary in the garden after, after his death, those, those two bookends uh, to our, our church life, those stories that we carry with us hold um, some of the same uh, kind of inherent otherness um, that this text does, and so I think this, this story is one that um, we have the capacity to enter into in, in a way that's 
can be delightful and playful, um, and that it can also take us to a place that's serious and spiritual and beautiful and can make an impact on us. So I invite you today into this story that uh, has a lot of odd um, little pieces to its puzzle. Um, I invite you into it um, in a way that, um, that opens you up, maybe, in a new way. Uh, there's uh, sometimes... Uh, I think when we read scripture, we, uh, we think that we need to tame the text. Someone said that sometimes we try to be uh, biblical zookeepers, trying to capture and lock up the meaning of, of scripture. Um, but I think instead, uh, today's text um, might give us a chance to be biblical gardeners instead, um, watering our spiritual lives with the practice of gathering for worship and uh, singing um, meaningful songs together and then letting these stories unfold in our midst um, in a way that allows them to grow um, within us and uh, grow in a way that that God um, that that God gives us a gift today so I've got just three three reasons why I like this text we could spend um, four more hours on it there's a lot there's a lot in this story um, but I hope, that, I hope that something in this story today will um, spark your imagination, will connect you with God, will resonate with um, the way God is calling you to live today. So first, um, I think we are all like Peter. We're all a little bit tempted to uh, build dwelling places. Uh, Peter, at the, at, in the middle of the story, he says to Jesus, let me, let me build you a dwelling place, one for you and one for Moses and for Elijah, these, these people who are all up on the mountaintop. We're all tempted to do this. We are tempted to make permanent that which is devastatingly impermanent in this life. Uh, one person points out that, uh, that Peter, Peter's offer to construct these dwelling places uh, for Moses and Elijah and Jesus is actually an act of uh, aching hospitality that um, it is a trembling hospitality in the face of the unknown. Uh, that Peter, Peter is, um, he says, I don't understand what's going on here, but I, I think there's something that I can offer to this situation. I think that um, this is uncharted territory, but let me, let me help make a place for this to dwell um, because it's, um, it's uncharted territory for me. So maybe this story can help us uh, approach the unknown with kindness and hospitality. Um, but the thing that Peter forgets, and I think that we all forget uh, a lot of times, is that uh, nothing gold can stay, that this moment will pass, that this mountaintop moment will come to an end. And that's true, that's true in our everyday lives as well. So much of life today is fleeting. This moment, this day, this particular configuration of these people in this place. Next week we'll gather for worship and one of you will be elsewhere and someone new will join us. So here, even in this room right now, we all impact each other in profound, unspoken, unrealized ways. And yet it's, it's tempting to liz, live as if Right now is the way things will always be. This particular season in our church's life, uh, whatever our 2020 vision is for this year, one day that will all be in the past. And the same is true for your family. This moment 
will, will disappear and you'll live in a new moment. Same too for our country and for the ebb and flow of life here on this planet. This moment will soon disappear into yesterday and we will at once be grateful for some aspects of this moment to have passed and deeply longing for this moment to remain. So like Peter, we want to make permanent what is impermanent. And we understand that instability unsettles us. Someone noticed that uh, instability um, looks sometimes uh, like fallen monuments or crumbling homes or leveled forests. When we see that, we are unsettled. But places of uh, permanence or durability, when you travel to that stone temple that's been uh, standing there for thousands of years, whether it was in Egypt or Italy or um, somewhere in Japan, when you saw that ancient stone temple, you understood that there is a little bit of permanence in this life. And same too when you stood in front of a redwood tree in California, that something is permanent about this place that we live on, this planet, this planet that seems more and more fragile and more perishable every year. What we thought was imperishable still has the capacity to disappear. And as humans, we live in, in the tension of that, right? We are the kind of people who build monuments to our grief. We fill cemeteries with marble and metal to remember. And how could we not? We need to remember. We fill parks with memorial shrines and statues to commemorate and honor the past. And we build, we build monuments to our joy too, right? That photo album that sits on your desk uh, or your Instagram feed filled with photos of the fleeting laughter and sunshine and pleasure and achievement in this life. Some days we want only to crawl into those little shelters of grief or joy those monuments to all that is fleeting and vanishing and momentary. We want to crawl into this moment and remain there. Like Peter, we say, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. And it is. It is good for us to be here. But Jesus offers us an, invita an invitation to persist within the rough waters of impermanence you'll notice that Jesus doesn't quite say no to Peter when he, he offers to build these, these uh, shelters for, for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. He doesn't say no. Instead, Jesus walks, he just walks back with them down the mountain. He invites them back into the crowd, back into the everyday, the routine, the ordinary, the unremarkable, that tedious work that is set before them. Jesus holds on to that mountaintop moment but allows it to pass despite what is hard about going back into the daily routine and the crush of the crowds. So I think the story has the capacity uh, to, to give us uh, that sense of, um, of who we are, that we are people who want to build, uh, build shelters of permanence in this world that is so often impermanent. And so second, I, I love this story um, because Jesus has this mountaintop meetup with wise leaders from ancient days long past. 
this mountaintop meetup, uh, hints at this idea that no matter who we are, we have the opportunity to take time to remember the wise women and men who have gone before us. That we need to grab on to Jesus' invitation to the mountaintop and to get up close to those who have influenced us. We need to say yes to that mountaintop work in order to commune with our ancestors. Jesus invites Peter and John and James intentionally. He could have gone up to the mountain to pray by himself, but this time he offers them an intentional invitation to go up to that mountaintop with him to encounter, encounter the wisdom of days long past. And you've been to mountaintops. You know that the mountaintop is an ancient, sacred retreat away from the crowd, away from the demands of our regular, uneventful routine. Mountaintops are chances to withdraw from that constant need to heal, to help, to care, to love. The mountaintop is, for Jesus, an escape from the politics of injustice that are so much a part of his ministry, the politics of despair and anger and violence and power. He takes this intentional trip to the mountaintop in order to truly come to a place of gratitude concerning those who have gone before him. And it invites us, I think, this text invites us to remember, too, our own mentors, those who were there for us when we were young, when we were stuck at a fork in the road, when we were needing advice, when we got our big break. What would it be like for you if you took time on the mountaintop in a secluded place away and you wrote a letter of gratitude to your mentor or read old letters that they wrote to you or if your mentor or person who has most inspired you is someone that you never actually got to meet face to face what if you took time away to go to the mountaintop to dig deeper into their story to reflect on who they are and how they've influenced you there's hundreds of stories about the ways that we influence one another, and I, I, here's an example. I learned this week that uh, Mae Jemison, the first African-American woman astronaut, uh, was inspired to become an astronaut by Nichelle Nichols, who was Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek. So my... And my, my Trekkie fan, I know I've got at least one Trekkie fan in the choir. She's not here right now. Um, so hopefully I did okay on that, uh, Lieutenant Uhura. Um, so uh, for those of you who watch Star Trek, you know that uh, Nichelle Nichols um, is an African-American woman who um, was on, on Star Trek. And for Mae Jemison, the first African-American woman astronaut, seeing another woman of color in the public eye week after week gave her the confidence and the courage to say yes to seeking out such a public achievement herself, becoming an astronaut for NASA. And I didn't know this, but Nichelle Nichols made history in 1968 when she and one of her white castmates shared the first ever on-screen interracial kiss. Now, this was a time, obviously, of heightened racial tensions during the Civil Rights Movement, a time when interracial relationships were openly persecuted and harassed. And uh, Nichelle's producers gave in to the racist ethos of the time and cut her lines and made her scenes shorter and relegated her to the background. She wanted to quit. Uh, but in a chance meeting with Martin Luther King Jr., 
um, who himself was a self-proclaimed Trekkie. I didn't know that. Um, he urged her to stay on the show. He said to her, representation matters. Uh, this is an important place for you to be in our world. So Mae Jemison was inspired to become an astronaut because Trekkie Martin Luther King Jr. convinced Nichelle Nichols that her struggle to be present in the public eye was important despite the world's racist paradigm. And the same is true for you. There is a way in which your mentors were mentored and that someone said to your mentors one time many years ago that their gifts matter, that their calling matters, that their tenderness is needed here, that their courage is essential. And so now your mentors can say that to you, that your gifts in this world matter, that your calling matters in this world, that your tenderness is needed here, that your courage is essential now. So what I love about this scripture passage is the way that it has a capacity to challenge us to remember and be in conversation with those who have influenced us. This story invites us to our own metaphorical mountaintops for our own time of reflection and prayer, remembering those who have come before us in order to strengthen what is ahead. And finally, I love this story because of its entanglement with Christmas, with that Christmas Eve story that picks up uh, that perpetual theme of fear that runs through scripture. And here it gives that fear a new dimension. If you read that Matthew uh, chapter 17 version of the transfiguration story, you'll find that for three verses, James and Peter and John are all splayed out on the ground. This has happened to you before. You've been uh, knocked down. You've been in the dust on the ground, um, bumped and bruised. Uh, holding out your hand saying, yes, I'm embarrassed, but I, I do need a hand up. And uh, we've been knocked down, right? We've been surprised by the awkwardness of our own body falling at a moment that we didn't expect. And the reason that Peter and James and John are all knocked over is because they're overcome by fear, right? It's that same exact word, that word fear is the same word that the Christmas Eve shepherds use uh, when we meet them in the field, when Lioness says on Christmas Eve uh, in Charlie Brown's Christmas, they were sore afraid. That same word shows up here. Those disciples were overcome with fear. And so this time, Jesus can reply, right? In the Christmas story, Jesus can't say anything. He's a wordless child. He's an infant. But here, Jesus is a grown adult. And so he can say to the disciples, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In this life, we need those words from Jesus, do not be afraid. Because even when we're not on the mountaintop, we can, become over, we can be overcome by fear. Even when it's not God's voice booming from within a shadowing cloud, fear prevails, anxiety engulfs us. We are worried to death. We are knocked over by fear. And it shows up in a lot of ways. Maybe you've been the high school student who hasn't been able to go to class because of anxiety. Maybe you've been uh, the person who took time away from work and family because of postpartum depression. Maybe you are the person who went on medical leave for residential hospitalization for mental health treatment. You know what it's like to be knocked over by fear. And if you don't know it personally, you have seen your friends and your family and this community go through the same thing. So this story reminds us that even before we're up off the floor, 
even before the tears are wiped away, even before the heart, our heartbeat slows back down to a regular rhythm, even before our mind stops racing, racing with worry, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's not a finger-wagging kind of shaming uh, statement. He's not commanding you to stop being afraid. He's not saying, bury your fear and ignore it or hide it under the rug. He's offering you an invitation. Do not be afraid. It is a welcome summons. Do not be afraid. Let go of your fear, he is telling us. There is a way toward new life. We don't have to stay here in this place of fear. Let us find a way down the mountain together. Do not be afraid. So I, I don't know why God is calling you up to the mountaintop, but I can hear God's voice. The mountaintop transforms Jesus, and it can transform you too. The mountaintop holds that sacred power. Up on the mountaintop, God dents the darkness and lets in the light that was there all along, beneath and within and behind the clouds. Maybe God is calling you to the mountaintop in order to hold on to the impermanence of this season of your life. Maybe God is calling you to the mountaintop to connect with your ancestors and mentors and those who have gone before you. Maybe God is calling you to the mountaintop in this moment when you fall into the ground and all you need to hear is do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Thanks be to God.